Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Warriors, we got some worshiping warriors in the house tonight. Amen. So I want to talk to you from Ephesians 6, as Pastor Josh mentioned, we're going to finish up this series on spiritual warfare. And I'm going to pick a fight with y'all New Yorkers. My title is Be Weak, Be Weird, or Be a Warrior. It's kind of like saying, choose one. Either you're going to be weak as a Christian, or you're going to be weird as a Christian, or we can do what Ephesians has been teaching us. We're going to be true biblical warriors. What's a warrior? A warrior is a fighter. A warrior is one who will go toe-to-toe with their enemies and do it with confidence. And so as we look at Ephesians chapter 6, let's just start where we have, and I'm saying we because I'm I'm your auntie now. I'm part of the body here. Verse 17, Ephesians 6 says this, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And verse 18 says, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. I love what Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul is saying through the book of Ephesians. He starts out talking to this group of people in this town, this city called Ephesus, which was very much like New York City, and he's trying to encourage them. This letter, the letter to the Ephesians, is not so much like Colossians and some of the other letters where Paul is trying to establish some, some, doctrine, some doctrine to deal with some heresy, some, some truths that were crazy in that day and age that had nothing to do with the body of Christ, but they were trying to come into the teaching of the church. There was some syncretism taking place. And so Paul's trying to, in Ephesians, simply encourage them. He's not trying to correct anything. And how many of you know sometimes when you encourage someone, you need to kind of get right up in their face and challenge them? And so Paul begins in chapter 6 challenging them to take a stand. He's talked about what it means to be this glorious church that has these heavenly blessings. He's talked about what it means to be the body and have this unity, Greeks and non-Greeks and Jews and, and all kinds of people worshiping together, which really was crazy back then. And he comes to the place in chapter 4 where he, and chapter 5 where he's trying to establish, okay, well, what, what does this look like on a day-to-day basis? Husbands and wives, parenting, singles, what does that look like? And then at the very end of this letter is when he starts challenging them to either be weak, be weird, or be a warrior. Spiritual warfare takes courage. In Ephesians 6, the Bible is the clearest, that's the clearest teaching that we have on the fundamental, fundamental struggle between believers, that it's not us against them in terms of people against people, 
But he wanted them to be encouraged to know that although there was plenty going on around them, that the true struggle was an unseen enemy. It was the enemy of their souls. It was the one who fought Jesus in the garden. It was the one who fought Jesus when he was uh, on his 40-day fast. And can I tell you, we have the same unseen enemy. Oh, it may not be Satan himself because contrary to popular belief, he's not omnipresent the way God is. He's not everywhere at one time. Satan, he is just a singular individual in the unseen world, but he's got millions and millions of demons. And it's hard to believe this sometimes because here we live in a world where everything is so tangible and we see everything. But all around us, there is this unseen struggle. I mean, right now you can't see it, but there's Wi-Fi signals going on everywhere in the atmosphere. There's Bluetooth, there's satellite. There's a lot going on that we can't see. But just because, friends, we can't see it doesn't mean that it's not there. Amen? And so it is with the spiritual realm. There are angels, there are demons, there's good and there's evil simultaneously interacting and interfacing with our world. But we can't see it, but God can see it. And the good news is this, that God gives us the ability, although we can't see what's happening in the unseen world, he gives us the ability to be protected from it and to fight against it. He gives us defensive weapons and he gives us offensive weapons. And so the good news is that, that we are in a battle, we are in a fight. You are in a fight for your spiritual life. You are in a fight for your family. You're in a fight for this church. You're in a fight for your community. And we are in this battle that is not a playground, but it's a battleground. The Christian life, someone said, is not a playground. It is a battleground. And so the struggle is real. But from the moment you say amen to the prayer of salvation, and then you are jettisoned, folks, Soon as you say amen to the prayer of salvation, you are jettisoned into the Lord's army. We know in the, Old, in the Old Testament, God refers to himself as the Lord of hosts or the Lord of the army. And so the Christian walk and the Christian faith and those who are engaged in it, you've always been referred to as the Lord's army. And so the New Testament abounds with this kind of battle language. We see in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, Paul says, Paul describes the entire Christian walk as fighting what? The good fight of faith. In 1 Corinthians 9.26, he describes his own journey as fighting, not as one who beats the air. And then in 1 Timothy, he says, you need to endure hardship as a good soldier. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, he says that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty, what? Mighty through God to the pulling down of all kinds of strongholds, of all kinds of philosophies, of all kinds of beliefs that come against your ability to be a soldier in God's army. Are you with me? And so when we think about what it takes to stand, and we're going to talk about the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit and what it means to stand strong and not weak and not weird in those two pieces of of the armor. But when I talk about being weak, What what do I mean by that? To be a weak Christian means that you're not able to stand. 
when opposition comes against you, when fears begin to manifest in your spirit, in your heart, in your mind, you begin to draw back. The good news is this, and I'm going to tell y'all some good news this afternoon. The good news is this, that weakness is not wickedness. I can't tell you how that liberated me years ago because I was weak. I was not able to stand. I was not able to stand in my beliefs. I was easily challenged. I was easily discouraged. And I was not able to be that warrior. And when I got the revelation that my weakness didn't mean I was wicked, in other words, it didn't mean that God was not with me. It didn't mean that my intentions were wrong. It simply meant that I needed to be taught how to stand. Because the armor is not my armor. It's the armor of God. In other words, this is armor that God gives. It's the armor that God inhabits. In other words, as we look at each one of these pieces, as you've looked at them, the sword of the spirit, the shield of faith, the breastplate of righteousness, and your shoes with the gospel of peace, every one of those pieces of armor, which are just analogies for how God wants to work in your life, God gives it to you. He gives it to you. It's as if you join the Army, you join the Navy, you join the Air Force, the Marines, and guess what? You don't have to go out and make your own uh, uh, armor or, or uniform. You don't have to go out and make that. You don't even have to go out and buy it. Come on, y'all. You just have to what? You just have to take it and put it on. So whether you realize it or not, up until this day, you have been clad. You have been uh, uh, decked out for battle. Come on, open your eyes. Open up your spiritual eyes right now. You have had the breastplate of righteousness. In other, in other words, right living. But you have, and you have had those shoes of peace, of knowing how to have the peace of God and walk in the peace and be a, a, a demonstration of the peace of God. You've had it. What happens to us and what has happened to me in the past is I didn't know I had it. Can you imagine me walking around with an AK-47 on my back every day and I don't even know I've got that AK-47? And the enemy comes against me with doubts, with fears, because the battlefield is what? It's the mind. We see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, where Paul talks about strongholds. A stronghold is, is a, is a, a, it's a belief, it's a standpoint, it's a perception. And so when you have the armor of God and you don't know it, those things cause you to be weak. And so weakness is what? It's not wickedness. Most of the time it's ignorance. You just don't know. You just don't know. And I'm so excited that Pastor James has said, okay, uh, um, yeah, this is it. We need to know who and what we are and the weapons that we have. And so weakness is not wickedness. So we don't have to be weak when it comes to the armor of God, and especially the sword of the Spirit and the, word, uh, the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which we're going to unpack. And we don't have to be weird. This is how I define spiritual weirdness in a soldier of God. Someone is weird 
when they have this armor, they may not know it, or they may know it, and guess what? They only wear half of it. They walk around like this. I know, I know New York is weird, but guess what? How often do you see folks walking around like this? Say if this was my breastplate of righteousness, of right living. I'm walking around like this. Suppose I'm on the battlefield. All right? Suppose I take off one of my shoes. Weird. You'd see someone on the battlefield like that, and you would say, what, in, what does weird mean? Strange, odd behavior. When it could be very different behavior. But guess what? A lot of us walk around this way. We may have, you know, some beliefs in the Lord that are very strong. And we may have kind of um, embraced those beliefs, but only half-heartedly. Oh, we're, we're on the fence about his character and his nature. We're on the fence about his power to heal, deliver, set free. We're on the fence. We're, we're only half in and half out, even with our devotions, our devotion to our daily. De we're, we're just kind of, it's weird. When you have so much available, when I have so much available to me. I lived a weird life for 20-something years. At the age of five, I started wrestling with thoughts. Wrestling with thoughts of suicide. Five years old. I wanted to slit my wrists. I remember it vividly. Now, I don't know where this darkness came from. Absolutely, it was the enemy, because he desires to take you out. He desired to take me out. So five years old, I'm wrestling with thoughts of suicide. And one day, I remember having the knife to my wrist and sensing, though, some kind of shift in the atmosphere. And the urge, the desire left me. Someone was praying for me. I don't know who it was, but trust me, someone was praying for me. Fast forward four years. Although I'm no longer consumed with the thought of suicide, I'm trying to seek a sense of peace in my life, even at nine years old. And so I start drinking. How did I get my hands on alcohol? Well, the adults, some of the adults in my world, they would have these parties on Friday night, and the lights would be low, and the liquor would be just everywhere. I was supposed to be in my room. I was down sipping. Fast forward another five years. Somehow I got hooked up with the wrong crowd, and I'm hanging out with some girls who love to shoplift. They've got sticky fingers. And we're in the store, and this was way before they had the sensors at the exits of the door, entrance and exits of the door. And so I'm there, and I'm stuffing stuff in my bag, and I'm walking out the door. I got a job at a shoe store around that time, 
And when they left me in the shoe store alone, I would go in the back and pull shoes off the shelf, put them in a bag, and take them outside. I was 17 at that time, so I was driving. So this is going on for a long time. After that, somehow I was able to get into college. I was a functional mess. You've heard of functional addicts? I was a, I could get by. You would, to look at me, you would have never known that I was under a black cloud, influenced by darkness. Fast forward, I'm in college, and finally I get to the place around 19 years old where I am just done trying to fight off these demons. See, because God never intended for us to be addicted to alcohol. God never intended for you or me, your mother, your father, your sister or brother, your aunt, your uncle. He never intended for us to be caught up in sin and in bondage and in things that try to fill up a void that really only God can fill. Are you hearing me? Didn't know it, but I'm on the college campus in Teaneck, New Jersey, going to FDU, Fairleigh Dickinson University, and I'm standing on a bridge near the campus that uh, covers over or goes over the Hackensack River. And I'm ready to jump because I'm just done. I'm just tired. I've been trying to fight all of these urges and all of these habits. I don't remember how, but a girlfriend of mine who had been praying for me shows up on the bridge. And this is what she says to me, Marlinda, the things that God has for you are better than the things in the world. If we're going to praise God, come on, because that's just the Lord. She said, he came that you might have life and have it more abundantly, but it's the enemy, the devil, his hordes that come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So if you're wrestling today with any kind of weakness, with any kind of weirdness, I just want to tell you that God has something better for you. Whether you've been walking with the Lord for a week or a month or 10 years, it's time for you to step in and put on the full armor of God. That's why Paul said, don't just hang it off and have on. He said, put on the what? The full armor of God. I love that. Because he said, don't be weird. Don't just walk partially clad in this, in this earth and in this life. God has given you the ability to walk fully as a soldier in his army, totally ready to do battle. Amen? Amen. So now that we kind of have that foundation set, let's look at these last two pieces of armor, the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. Salvation speaks of your liberation because the scripture says in Galatians 5, 
It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Salvation, God, when he speaks of the helmet of salvation, he's talking about this idea, this truth, that God has come to liberate you and he's ready to defend you. That word salvation actually means defense. The helmet of defense, the helmet of protection. In other words, when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we automatically are given this helmet of protection. And we're going to talk about how to activate it. But you need to know today that the battlefield is your mind. It is your mind. That's where the enemy begins to try to sow seeds of doubt, of unbelief, of fear, and all kinds of uh, ideas of suicide, oh, that it will never change in your life, that's where you have to fight. See, salvation is for your liberation. Prior to salvation, you don't even have a defense for that. Oh, they've got Prozac. Hear me? Oh, they've got Excedrin, they've got alcohol. We've got all kinds of things to try to wrap our minds in some peace. But the true peace and the defense, I should say, against the enemy's attack against your mind is the helmet of salvation. Think about it. Think about it. How, what does a, a football player have to wear in order so that when he gets hit, he doesn't necessarily get knocked out. Oh, it might happen. But most of the time, that helmet is made of the material. It's made in terms of how it's construct constructed in order to protect the most important, what's the biggest, hardest piece of, of defense that the football player has? His helmet. That's the same way it is for us. This understanding that the salvation that we have is to be a defense against the mental attacks of the enemy. Are you with me? Our God's salvation is holistic, friends, and it involves the well-being of the whole person not just rescuing them. Sometimes we think of salvation as God taking us out of darkness and into light, and that is so true, and that is so powerful, and we are so grateful for that. But he doesn't just take you out of darkness and into light. He brings you to a place where he will defend your mind and your soul against those things. See, what the brain is to the body, your mind is to the soul. Let me say that again. What your brain is to your body, your mind is to your soul. The helmet of salvation protects our minds. So if the brain tells the body what to do, our minds instruct our souls. As we, and this is how it works. As we feed our minds, our souls act accordingly. As we feed our minds on what? Guess what? The Word of God. As we feed our minds, our soul begins to take that strength and take on a whole different perspective. Your worldview changes. 
That's why it's good to be here weekly, sitting under the teaching of the world, because six days a week, the other six days a week, you are bombarded with a worldview that says materialism is your God. That says any kind of political belief, and we're not uh, adopting either one here, but it tries to drive you to rely on systems, on habits, on your past, your family history, whatever it might be. You gotta have a worldview that is 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 fed by God's word. Because when you begin to understand that the, the way you think is going to drive everything in your life, you want to immerse yourself then in the Word of God. So the helmet of salvation protects our, protects our minds. This understanding that God is to be our defender. And so we meditate, meditate on that. One of my favorite verses or chapters of the Scripture, and I want you to just think about this and use it, is Psalm 23. Although it's in the Old Testament, it talks about new realities of those who will uh, allow God to be their, their um, defender, their shepherd. Have you ever thought of a shepherd as a defender? What do you think the rod is for? It's not to beat the sheep. Oh, the rod can help guide them, but it's to beat away the enemy. So when I'm afraid or when I'm not sure if God really loves me, when I'm doubting my identity in him, when I'm not able to get past some kind of offense or some kind of challenge in my life, I need to find my defender. I need to put on my mind the defender's abilities. You don't have to try to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, my friends. That's, that's futile. You will never get to where you need to be in God by pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. And so we say this. I say we because I've taught it to my two daughters. You can teach it to your children. The Lord is my shepherd. I ain't got no wants. That's why we say it over in Jersey. He makes me lie down in green pastures. In other words, my defender, he's going to give me the ability to sleep. There have been nights over these 33 years where I didn't know if the church was going to make it. I didn't know if my marriage was going to make it. I didn't know if my children were going to make it. I didn't know if my mom and my dad, I didn't know if my, I just didn't know what was going to happen. And so I'm lying in my bed and I'm having trouble finding my peace. But my defender, my shepherd, I would, I would remember, I would meditate, I would just begin to visualize who he is. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. And listen, yay, yay, yay. When you walk through, when I walk through the valley where it's darker than death, I don't have to fear. He's with me. He's with me. This is how we anchor ourselves in our new identity. The helmet of salvation is about your identity in Christ. Who are you? You're not your job title. You are not your title. Even if you're a parent, you are not your title. You are a son or a daughter of the living God. You are righteous. You've got the breastplate of righteousness. You've got a father in heaven that's like no earthly father. 
who can replace the pain, the struggle, the issues of your earthly, earthly father with his heavenly love. The helmet of salvation teaches us that he's our defender and helps us to walk in who we are, walk in the full armor. Are you with me? And in my life, I have to tell you, all of those things that I wrestled with, they didn't go away overnight when I eventually said yes to Jesus. But it was a process. It was a process of getting to know my defender and engaging all that he could do, how he could protect me, how he could deflect, how he could help me stand. And actually, six times, four or five, six times in, in this little passage of Scripture, we are told to stand. So there's the fighting that is coming against us by the enemy, the fiery darts that the Scripture says. And then God says, don't run. You don't even have to duck. You just have to stand. In other words, you just have to continue to believe. You just have to continue to declare and decree over your life that God's love is great, that his supply will come through for you, that every relational challenge you have, he's got wisdom for it. And you begin to go after that. And so I didn't change overnight. I didn't get to this place. And I'm not even where I want to be. I don't know if I'm even where I should be at this point, but I'm not where I used to be. Not where I used to be. My hashtag in life is this. In 12 months, I will not be here anymore. Encouraging you, stand. Stand with your helmet of salvation. And last but not least, Paul talks about the sword of the Spirit. And the sword of the Spirit is unique because it is the only weapon that Paul describes he says, it's the word of God. Every other weapon, he doesn't give a second phrase to. And I think he is somewhat finishing off this passage because he wants you to really get it. Now, the sword of the spirit that Paul is talking about was actually not a long three-foot sword. It was a dagger. They say that it was maybe 12 to 20 inches long. And so if you know anything about knives and swords, if it's a short one, it's for hand-to-hand -hand combat. In other words, it's the, and it's the only defensive weapon. It's the only defensive weapon. It's the only one Paul describes, and it's for close contact. In other words, take the word so personally, so close to you, that when the enemy is up in your face, and threatening you, and you sense the darkness, or you sense oppression or depression, you sense a struggle in your finances, you sense a struggle in your church, whatever it might be, take the sword of the Spirit and begin to do hand-to-hand -hand combat with the enemy. Get close. Don't back away. Don't outsource your use of the Scripture. You know, we try to outsource our praise. We let the praise and worship leader praise for us. We try to outsource our giving. Let somebody else give. You can't outsource any of those, and you can't outsource using the Word of God to defend yourself. Nobody can do it for you. Nobody can do it for you. Even hearing it, that's, that's okay. That's good. But there comes a time when you need to use it. And so the word there for word, it's not the logos word. 
Whereas the written word, you know, the Bible uses different English words, I should say different Greek words that might be translated in English as the same word. So there are times when W-O-R-D means logos. It means what has been written down. But then there are times when W-O-R-D means what? Rhema. R-H-E-M-A. A rhema word is a saying. It's a saying, but it's based on the written word. It's a, it's a phrase. It's when the Holy Spirit inspires you to use what was written in your, your, your situation right here and there. We saw Jesus do it in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Do you remember? Satan himself, that's who Satan will deal with. He deals with the, the ones in the upper positions. Satan himself came to Jesus while he was in the wilderness. 40 days fasting and praying just before God launched him into his public ministry. And Satan, he, he tempted him in several ways. He tempted him by saying, you know what? You're so hungry. Turn these stones into bread. And what did Jesus did, do? He used the word. It was a rhema. Now, it was written in the Old Testament, many of those responses that Jesus used, but Jesus used it right then and there in that situation to do what? Bam. Kick the enemy. So Satan says, turn these stones into bread. And then Satan says all kinds of, he tempts him, throw yourself down and, and just save yourself. You have the power to do it. And Jesus said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to try to tip my father to do something that I have the ability to do. I'm not going to do that. That would be foolish. And the last thing he tempted him with or tested or tried Jesus's uh, sword or the spirit, he said, look at all of the nations and all of the, the, the lands of the world. He said, I'll give that to you. Guess what? He can. He's the God of this world. That's a whole nother sermon. But just think about that. He has the ability to funnel riches and fame and power. And Jesus said, no, I don't need that. Because Satan said, if, if you will worship me, I'll give you all of these things. And Jesus said, nope, my worship is just for God. And this is how I fight my battles. I fight using the rhema. I'll speak. There's a saying. I don't know if you've ever practiced saying. I know back in the 80s and the 90s, there was that whole craze about name it and claim it. Not talking about that foolishness. Talking about what Jesus did here, where he spoke to the enemy and said, no, because God has something better for me. And so as the musicians are coming, I want you to know, I want you to not just know, but I want you to wear your full armor because my mother-in-law said this to my husband once when he was struggling with something. He was struggling in school. So it's not just the, the blatant battles, but he was struggling in school. And she said, David, what man has done, man can do. 
And as I share with you my testimony and what Paul has done and what God has done through our church, what man has done, man can do, but through the power of God, through the army of the Lord, the armor of the Lord. You, my friends, are in the army now. And you've got a commander. You've got a defender. You've got someone that's given you this, this ability to walk and to stand. You just need to activate it. Activate it with the word. Speaking the word. Activate it by understanding that, yeah, he can defend you. He can defend your mind. Though it's a battlefield, if you would saturate yourself with the word of God on a daily basis, you will see yourselves grow. You will see yourselves develop. You will see yourself strong. Like he says in the first verse of, of, of chapter 6, be strong in the Lord and the power of be strong in who? And guess what? It's not pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. It's just knowing him, walking in him, resting in him, learning of him, speaking his word. Amen? Would you stand with me? God's got his hand on the Bridge Church. I want you to know that. I'm old enough, been around the block enough to know when God's got his hand on a people. Be confident in that. Celebrate it every Sunday. When you walk out the door every Sunday afternoon, know that when you are here, you are doing warfare even in this region. You're doing warfare for what God has this church to do. You are the army of the Lord in the Bridge Church. Be encouraged. You are farther along than we were at this age. Don't doubt the call of God. Don't doubt the commissioning of God. But it's time to fight. It's time not to maybe lean so much on Pastor James and the other leaders here. It's time for you to pull up your pants, put on your jacket, and begin to stand day by day by day by day by day. Are you ready? I hope you're ready because it's time. It's time. You know when your kids are, are at a certain age and you look at them and, you know, they're still acting like, uh, like they're younger than what they are? And you got to say, grow up. Come on. You're, you're better than this. You're bigger than this. You're older than this. And so I just want to encourage you, it is time. Father, thank you for the Bridge Church. Thank you for their passion. Thank you for their love. Thank you for all that you're doing in them and through them. And may your manifestation of the building, oh God, of the place that they desire to be or what you have for them, may it begin to come as they continue to press in and walk and run after you, fully clad, in the armor of God, in Jesus' name. And everybody shout it. Amen. Amen. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. 
You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at BridgeChurchNYC. Our website is BridgeChurchNYC.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you and we hope to see you soon.